Hi, this is Diane Carbo with Caregiver Release. And today I have with me Betsy Warzel, who is a podcast host for Chatting with Betsy, is our dementia care specialist as well as a caregiver coach. She is also the founder of Kick Alzheimer's Ass on Facebook. I'm so excited to have you with me today. Thank you, and I'm always excited to talk to you, Diane. I love talking to you. I love talking to you, too, because we have so much in common, and we have so much information that we can share from our experience. And your experience comes from caring for several family members with dementia. And today, which is right in what I'm doing, I'm doing an end-of-life series uh, with an, one of my end-of-life specialists, and we have been talking about advanced planning. When you said you wanted to talk about hospice, I, I thought that's a perfect topic to begin with what we're already discussing. I had hospice uh, for my dad. I've worked in hospice. I've done home care, helping people when they pass, and I've been at the bedside of many a dying patient. But you have a, probably a different perspective than I do because you've actually been the caregiver that has had to make choices and decisions based on end of life. So I'm excited to hear your perspective. Oh, thank you, Diane. When I was diagnosed in 2010, we had living wills made for the both of us. And Matt made his wishes known because I said, I don't want to have to make that decision. So I, we, I got the power of attorney and the um, power of medical, which is very important to have. People like to talk about it, but you have to make your wishes known to your loved ones. And I'll say this, and I've been saying it all the time, you don't have to like what they put down. You have to respect it and honor it. There's a difference. Absolutely. The, the okay. biggest point I want to make here is that you and Matt made decisions early while he was still cognizant and aware and knew what he wanted. So many family members delay. You can't allow that delay. You need to do it as early as possible. Yeah, definitely. I highly recommend really everybody over the age of 18 to have a power of attorney, financial and medical, and do a living will because you never know what could happen. It could always be revised. It could always be updated. But you need to have that in writing. You do not want the state or wherever you live coming in and deciding for you. You want to make that decision. I'm 100% in agreement with that point. Absolutely. Yes, I had my son last year. It was on my mind anyway. But with COVID, it really hit me over the head that I wanted to, Josh, go to a lawyer to have his living will and get power of attorney of him for when I need it. And so that's what we did. And Josh was 36 last year. So I highly recommend that for um, everybody. Mo is losing weight near the uh, end of his life. And the neurologist said you could have a feeding tube placed in. So feeding tube, for those who don't know, is a procedure. And it's not pleasant. And they put a tube in your stomach and you could get that way. Let mother have that and she don't want it. Matt didn't want to think he was starving his mother. I said to the neurologist, absolutely not. Matt does not want that. Yes. 
and why am I going to prolong his suffering? That's how I felt. Everyone's different. What people need to realize, Diane, I, I think people have trouble with this, is that at the end of life, when the body starts shutting down, they don't need food. You're not starving them. People had this impression on starving them. I feel guilty of withholding uh, food from them. When you're dying, your body doesn't need food. Now, the fact that giving uh, a dying person food may complicate things. People need to understand that life-sustaining measures have muddled death and dying. And it used to be, when I went into nursing 50 years ago, I can't believe it's been that long, that you went to the hospital or you died at home and there was nothing done. Now, today, we have life-sustaining measures, pacemakers, defibrillators, feeding tubes, artificial ventilation, and the medical delivery system, and I'll say this over and over again, it lets people down. In fact, a lot of physicians continue to treat in spite of the fact that there's no hope for a better quality of life for a person. Because they see that as a failure on their part. Because their job is to prolong life. And I really hope that medicine changes where doctors will make it uh, possible for someone to die on their own terms and to say, okay, they live their life. Yes. Yeah, we die. We live, we die. It's a fact. And we need to talk about it more. And we need to just, doctors need to talk about it more than they only have but so much time. This is where you come in, Diane. I come in. All these people, they get on a podcast and say, hey, we need to talk about this. I highly recommend, I always tell people, learn from my experience. I wish I knew there was people who could have helped me navigate the hospice process. Uh, you have for-profit, uh, not-for-profit. I went with the hospice that was out of our local hospital that was recommended by the doctor. And unfortunately, I had the home hospice from hell experience. And just because they're in hospice doesn't mean they're educated as far as someone with Alzheimer's goes. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think that people think that all hospices are created equal, and they're not. They're not. And you have the right to fire a hospice and get another one in, and people don't realize that as well. Yes, I had Matt, he went on hospice the day of the Thanksgiving 2019, and I was at the end of my rope. I thought hospice would help Matt. I know they made him worse because the medications didn't help. They didn't believe me that he was severely agitated. They didn't believe me that he was dying. They didn't believe me that he complained of a headache. I really had to fight for him. He fell twice. They wouldn't come out to assess him. Can you imagine? I, I have to tell you, I've had to fire a hospice. I had a, an amazing experience with my dad. Uh, but my mother-in-law, not so much. And I've had so many uh, caregivers in, in our group tell me how they felt unsupported and uh, not heard by a hospice company and the nurses and the lack of caring and uh, the judgment passed 
on them for some of the requests they were asking, and they were asking for help. And, and it just makes me sick. It just makes me sick because people don't even watch TV. We see this all the time. Everybody falls asleep and they're fine. They just die. And it's not like that at all for some people. Hormonal agitation, which it sounds like what Matt had, is a terrible thing for a family to have to ex- observe and experience. It, you feel helpless and hopeless. And here you are. You're an educated individual. You're, you're a nurse. And they still wouldn't listen to you. That just breaks my heart. Yes, they didn't know who they were dealing with. Make quiet a housewife, and they soon found out this little Spitfire has a big mouth. Let that social worker, who was very sarcastic, he came to my house to find out, you know, what I was doing wrong and tried to blame me on that condition, and I just had to put her in her place. She yeah. said, nobody calls up hospice as much as you, and I... <gasps> You know what? Yeah. She said it to me. That's why my husband's advocate, and I'm going to keep calling until you find a solution to his problem. You're giving more of the same medication. I'm telling you, it's not working. Why are you doing the same thing? And then she had that question how I was giving his medication was you can't do it how you want to do it. And I said, listen, do not talk to me in a condescending way. Do not talk to me like I'm stupid. Because I am not stupid. I'm a licensed practical nurse. I gave out many medications for years. Oh, I'm not talking to you like that. I said, to me, you are, and you need to stop. Yeah. And nothing really was done. I knew I could change hospice, but here was my dilemma, Diane. Matt was really in bad shape. And I don't know about other states. I know that I had called up Medicare. I live in New Jersey. Yes. Medicare pays for a hospice, but they only pay for certain ones. Yes, yes. And so there you they yes. have to. So there really wasn't, I'm going to say, much to choose from in the amount of time. And Matt was home for three weeks on that hospice and hall. And then he went up to the hospice unit, but after I had raised cane. Because I just was going to say, why didn't they offer to put him in a unit for a while? Yeah, they were going to put him up in one of their nursing homes, but I didn't feel Matt would be safe. And I said, he wouldn't be safe. Actually, I wouldn't put, if I had a dog, I wouldn't even put a dog in one of their homes, to be honest with you. See, that that's an important point to make, because there are hospice units, not inmates, that would be able to handle things like terminal agitation with IV medication, different from what he was taking, and calm him. But when they're in the nursing home, you and I both know that the nursing home staff isn't trained. They don't do IVs well, if they do them at all, as well as the hospice nurses are supposed to be caring for the patient. And in a hospice unit in the nursing home, that means that the nursing home staff is going to come in just to check maybe. There's no full-time hospice staff in the room. Right. And my dad had a wonderful hospice. He was in a nursing facility, nursing home facility, and they were great with my dad. People think they have this impression, Diane, that hospice is in your house 24-7. That's not the case. No. Loved ones dying at home, you're the one giving that morphine. You're the one giving that Ativan. Yes. But 
I would yes. tell, I even told the hospice nurse, I said, Matt is at the end of his life. And she said, no, he's not. He's walking, talking. I said, I'm telling you, he's at the end. Get your head out of the textbook and think outside the textbook. And two weeks later, Matt yeah. was gone. And they didn't believe yeah. that he was yeah. dying. Yeah. And I really feel that a lot of education is needed with hospice and dealing with a younger uh, person with Alzheimer's. They may not be in bed agitated. They might be exactly. walking around agitated. This needs really a lot of education, I feel, desperately. Well, I, I, I'm, I think the benefits of hospice through Medicare need to change. They're not going to because there's so many of us aging. It, we're going to have fewer benefits. There are 90% uh, of the unpaid caregivers out there are family members, and they provide 90% of the home health in the country saving our government billions and billions of dollars. They are the invisible healthcare workers. They're untrained and they're learning as they go along. And it, it is frightening for them. Yes. And the hospice doctor told me that they have to do whatever their protocol is before someone comes up to the hospice unit so that they get paid. Well, because yes. home hospice screwed up, and they know they screwed up with Matt, and I called up Medicare and I complained, they took back their payments. They took back over $17,000 in mm -hmm. payment. They wouldn't submit Matt's medical records because they know they screwed up. They screwed up. And they make you feel like you're the bad guy <laughs> because you have expectations of support, education, and some kind of care. Yes. I told that social worker that came to my house. I had a meeting with her at the hospital. And I told her, I said, you need to listen to the caregiver. And when we tell you our loved one is agitated, you need to believe it. When they're dying, you need to believe it. When they have pain, you need to believe it. I said, I'm telling people, don't take yes. this crap. We will be speaking up. We're not taking this anymore. You need to listen. We yes. know our loved one. And she goes, Betsy, I did. She's so sarcastic. She goes, I didn't go to Starbucks. I was, you know, I oh, you're concerned. Yeah. I'm watching. I said, well, why didn't they do anything? She goes, I don't know. I, 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 that totally offends me. And, and of course, I have, I've had multiple situations in our actions with healthcare professionals on that same level because we demand a certain quality of care. I just want support and kindness sometimes and, and education or someone just to say, I understand how you feel. I acknowledge it. And I understand your frustration. Let's see and work with me instead of ignoring and, and blaming. They didn't believe me that Matt was severely agitated. Matt would be, yeah. Uh, Josh would have to hold him. I changed him. But when he was agitated, Diane, oh, he'd jump up like a yeah. pack of the box and start walking. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then people don't realize sometimes, sometimes the medication that they're prescribing is causing more agitation, not less. It's called a paradoxal effect. And they have the opposite reaction to a, me a medication. 
that's what makes me confused about why they didn't try something else. Because if I'm a nurse and I'm hearing you say he's getting more agitated, not less, with the medications I've given him, that's a clear indication to me, hello, let's get up and maybe try something else on him. Because obviously the medication we're giving him is not working or it's having that paradoxical or opposite effect and causing the agitation. Yes. The last night that Matt was home, I gave what they told me and he talked the whole night. He fell out of bed. The next morning, uh, I called up the hospice and I said, I did what you said. Matt talked the whole night. I have chest pains. I'm not sleeping. I'm exhausted. Are you going to come out and assess it? Yes. Diane, she said to me, yes. I don't know. <gasps> I don't know. I said, I'll tell you what. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I blow it. I was calm, but yeah. I, I said, you know what? Yes. I'm going to call you every minute. And in between calling you every minute, I'm calling up your director, your regional director. I'm calling up Medicare, placing a complaint. Because this is ridiculous. I said, he's not my husband. That's just some patient. My husband is my husband. I'm his advocate, and I will fight for him. You don't even know who you're dealing with. And she said, yeah, cool. don't make those calls, uh, Mrs. Sloan. That's my married name. She said, don't make those calls. I'll yeah. call up my nurse manager. It should not have taken so much stress and aggravation for me to get my husband the help that he should have had. And so I feel exactly. that he suffered more than he should have. And after he was there for two days, they had someone sit with him, Diane, and they had the nurse to say to me, oh, Betsy, now we see what you're talking about. Why do you think it, why would I make it up? Why would I make it up? Yes. It just yes. got me so yes. mad. Uh, you know what? I have to tell you, my son that's passed, Jeff, he used to call me the dye monster and Diana and a monster. Uh, because I am brutal. I'm a mama bear. Yes, me too. And I have advocated for my dad, for my, my son, even my younger son when he was young and a baby and had ear infections all the time. Doctors would look at me and tell me I didn't know what I was talking about, and I would bring him in and they go, oh, yes, you're right. You know what? I, I, it just makes me crazy. If, if there's anything I've got to tell caregivers to do is have a, an advocate there if you don't have the energy. You're an elder care manager. Have one of us be your caregiver coach to support you. There's even a growing death movement in the country, and they, there are death doulas now that will be there and work with you throughout the entire death and dying process. In fact, we have a um, certified death doula on our, our staff right now, our team, and uh, I have Pat Diggin is one of my end-of-life consultants, and she worked in hospice for years, and we are, in fact, next week, we're talking about the active dying process and the signs and symptoms that you're going to see, because people don't know. They really don't know, and they get frightened and scared. Yes, yes. The more education, the better. I wish I had a death doula. I don't think there was um, any... Or any in my area. Actually. There's not many of them. There's yeah. not many around. It's a new and up and coming field. But you know what? It's going to be a necessary field because we as uh, a country have, um, and it, 
the hospital system is all about making money. And one of the things is we have palliative care and hospice are one of the most underutilized programs that we have. And it's because, and this doctor stopped getting paid from seeing the patient. So I strongly believe, and as a nurse of 50 years, I strongly feel it's greed on the doctor's part as far as not wanting to give up that little bit of income for their 15-minute visit of Medicare. And the other thing is they see it as a failure. And there's nothing pleasant or wonderful about being in a hospital and dying. You want to be surrounded by your loved ones at home, and you want to do it in a peaceful way, you hope. But the medical delivery system lets people down. And here's a you know, perfect example of that experience. Yeah, yes. I well, God, thank you for having me. Thank you. I wanted to match a die peacefully at home. That wasn't, you know, how it worked out. And I think this might sound weird, but I think Matt died in the hospital because I think he knew Josh couldn't handle him dying at home. My son has special needs. And I think it would have really flipped Josh out if Matt died at home. I could understand Matt going up to a hospice unit. I knew he went up there to die. And Josh and I knew that. I told Josh that. Those idiots, uh, I can't think of another word, thought he, uh, yeah. Matt went up there to get a medication adjustment. I knew he was yeah. dying. And yeah. that's the thing. The hospice chaplain had the nerve to argue with Madgen. Crazy chaplain came into my room. She was supposed to come to my house. And the two times she was supposed to come, never showed up. Um, and so she came to my room to meet me. And I, yeah, I was upset. So Matt suffered more than he should have. And she said, yeah, she nerve to say to me, he's not suffering now. Of course, I just got shot up with morphine and Ativan. But he did suffer. Yeah, and I was like, why are you arguing with me? And then I was upset because they called me, it was Christmas Eve day, that he would be going home later that week. And I said, no, he's not. She goes, well, don't worry about that. Just worry about today. That might, might be going home. I said, I don't think so. There's no way he's going home. I refuse his discharge the way he is now. She goes, you can't do that. Yeah. I said, yes, I can. And I will. <laughs> And I went into the director because I already went in and gave her an earful um, to raise fire and told her I didn't think the care was acceptable. I rather it was unacceptable. And I told her, I said, Carmela, if Matt should go home, which I know he won't be, I said, so help me. I want in his care plan that a nurse has to come out when I say so. Because if a nurse doesn't come out, my next call is to your CEO. And don't think I won't do it because I will. You have no idea who you're dealing with. I will, I will tell you uh, an old Jewish beer blessed one with a friend of mine. And he used to tell me, Diane, why go to the ass when you can go to the head? <laughs> and I'm telling you. I do it all the time. I I have no problem saying, look, you don't get paid enough to deal with me and my aggravation and my 
complaints. I want somebody who could make a decision. And I just worked my way up the chain. Oh, I have gone to the CEOs of major hospitals. Hell, I went off to the Surgeon General's office with the, uh, it was the military because of what my son went through. I'm fearless. What can they do to me? Because they're, they're doing so much harm and pain to our family member. I feel bad is that, see, I had the strength and the energy. I don't know how you did because you were caregiving, and that's exhausting in itself. And I know that caregivers take the word. Somebody says to you, they're, they're sending you, your family member home. You go, oh, okay. And you're thinking, they're not thinking it through. That, Wait, do I have rights? Do I have options? None of that is expressed to them. And we have to have the energy to fight that. And yes. if you don't, then you need to have someone help you fight that somehow, some way, because you should not be doing this. No caregiver should be doing this alone. That's right. And I tell people in my group, Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement, hire someone. And if you can afford it, hire. I wish I did. Yeah. Because it was so stressful and aggravating. And after Matt died, I beat myself up for a year because I had guilt. And a lot of caregivers do have guilt, even though we did everything that we we could. But I finally had an epiphany that Matt was, let it go, Betsy. I'm not suffering. I'm not thinking about it. And yeah. Yeah, I went to a patient advocate. I went to the director of hospice. I called up my husband's primary doctor who said he was going to call up the director of hospice. And they must have known because when my son went to the doctor's office, she said, uh, yeah, we heard about what happened to your husband. We heard about it. So the doctor must, they must have talked among themselves. But uh, Yeah, but you know what? As far as I'm concerned, it's a good old boy network. You know, oh, yeah, 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 I heard you had a problem. Because I'll tell you what, I did sales and marketing for hospice. The uh, medical director gets paid a nice chunk of change to represent that hospice. And he goes around uh, in the good old boy network along with the marketing person to generate business to come to his hospice. And nurses that are marketers are getting bonuses based on how many patients they get referred to them. I know the system very well from that end because I've done it. I've lived it. I can tell you that I worked for a hospice and I left because I saw some unethical and things going on that I didn't think were good and I couldn't represent them. So I can tell you, I know that it exists. I think that one of the things we have to learn is number one, I think everybody needs to know that palliative care is the bridge before hospice. It's underutilized. And if you have a company that is offering palliative care, look into that first. And um, if they provide crappy care, look for another one. That gives you a little bit more buying and more time. But if you're stuck, I'm with you. Hire an elder care um, geriatric care manager. Hire one of us as a uh, caregiver coach. Whatever capacity you can afford you, and you need support and help, then you need to reach out because you should not be doing it alone. That's right. And I always tell people, Diane, we're nurses. Uh, we go with our gut. You have to trust your gut instinct as a caregiver. 
You have to speak up when there's an injustice. If we don't speak up, nothing will change. My mom would say to me last year, stop talking about it. It's not bringing Matt back. I said, I'm not talking about it to bring Matt back. What about the next person? I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of the next person because nobody should ever be treated the way we were. You, You just don't disrespect people like that. That is the problem in our healthcare delivery system is there is no respect for the family members anymore. And especially the caregivers are totally invisible to our healthcare delivery system. They worry about the patient coming in, but I don't ever hear any doctor ask, hey, how are you as a caregiver doing? Is there anything we can do to help you? I've said this multiple times. This may be the first you're going to hear it from me, but I think disease-specific organizations like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, diabetes, cancer, they're all about raising all kinds of tons of money, tons and tons, billions of dollars for a cure. Okay, I get that. But I believe we've been waiting for a cure for all these diseases for a long time. And they ignore the benefits that developing programs to address the here and now for the caregivers, there's such a limit, um, there's such a little bit of respite care available. There's such a little bit of things available. If all these organizations would put a ton of their money in to one big group, they could help the family caregivers get the support they need still be able to save for the cure. But that's, that's just, right. that's my personal opinion. No, that's true, Diane. I, and I have to say this. I just interviewed someone who wrote the, a book about the history of the cancer survivorship movement. And I was thinking, well, Alzheimer's and whatever dementia needs that. We, the caregivers, are the survivors. People yeah. got together who had cancer and said, you know what, we've had enough. We're tired of being discriminated against. We want to be a better treatment. We want to be treated better. So this is how the uh, new oncology nursing came about and new treatments and uh, support groups came out because people got together and said they had enough. And this is what caregivers need to do, but we're too tired and exhausted. Exactly. There has to be a movement that is private. It's private. It can't be have being government involved because the government just screws things up. I, I just firmly believe they do. Medicare is a perfect example of that. I think there's got to be a way that people can raise money to help lots of caregivers get that time off that they need and, and support them because, at, especially at times, even at the end of life, It's necessary. I'm so glad that we had this conversation today because I think that people need to understand that they're not alone out there. And we are there to help and support them. And we have the spitfire. We have the fire in us to help you get through this time in your life. And we're hoping that over time we can affect not only change, but have you help other caregivers after your caregiving journey is over to continue the movement that we're starting to get care for the caregiver. 
Yes, yes. Always enjoy talking to you, Diane. We're kindred spirits. We're a warrior. Yeah, we have to speak up. Definitely. I just wanted to make you aware that there is a movement out there that anesthesia may be involved at the end of life. They're looking more and more into that. And they are also looking at psychedelic medication like LSD. They're saying that some of those can help a person be calmer at the end of their life. So there is a movement now. I can't, do you think it's going to happen if the government's involved with it? No, no. But I think that private clinics will be offering that. I for for people like Matt. Yeah, I I think that they need to come up with something for someone with a dying brain because the Seroquel exactly. in they're for uh, psychiatric issues, not someone with a dying brain. And who's to say that someone with a dying brain doesn't have pain? This is what people in the medical profession need to realize. And a social worker has no right to tell anyone that they don't really have pain. That's exactly. their jurisdiction, for lack of better yeah, that That's out of the scope of practice. Exactly. Yes, there you go. Yes, it's out of the scope of practice. And I will tell you right now, now, the family members are the experts with their family member, and nobody should ever question what the family member is saying. They should acknowledge it and work with them to find a solution. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we definitely, as caregivers, need to speak up. Unfortunately, she's 91, she's 90. Taking my brother to a neurologist who was very ignorant when it came to dementia and she said I can't fight like you Betsy and I was like give me the phone give me the phone but she wouldn't do I'm an embarrassment to my family Uh, you know what I'm the bossy know-it-all sister so I get it you know what I don't care anymore when I when I'm behind you I'm behind you and I know what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable and what's not and I will fight all every step of the way because I have to, because there's others behind you that will have the same experience if we don't enforce and effect change. That's right. I would say to, I told my mother, I said, you know what? You want someone like me on your side. You do not want to cross somebody yes. like me. <laughs> you do not. Exactly. Exactly. On that note, Betsy, I'm going to say thank you again. I, I love having you every time we're together. And to my caregivers out there, remember, you are the most important part of the caregiving equation. Without you, it all falls apart. Learn to be gentle with yourself. Practice self-care every day because you were worth it. Again, Betsy, thank you. And until next time. Take care. Thank you, Diane. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.